You're listening to the preaching ministry of Redemption Bible Church in New Braunfels, Texas, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you seek to worship Christ, walk with Christ, and work for Christ, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, please visit redemption.bible. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon at one of our upcoming worship services. Please open your copy of God's Word to John 3, 22 through 36. John 3, 22 through 36. Nearly 400 years ago, a group of Puritan pastors and elders gathered together to create a document that is called the Westminster Catechism. And they created a shorter one and they created a longer one. The shorter one to be easier to read uh, for folks, but also a, a longer one that was more comprehensive and detailed uh, in, in, its, uh, in its explanation. And uh, one of the things that the reason they did this was because they wanted to uh, trim down and, and, and really focus in on what the, the basic doctrines are of Christianity. And they used this, this document to teach those basic doctrines. One of those basic doctrines was this. What is the purpose of man? And they culminated it and, and, and focused in on this one statement being the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That, this is what these scholars studied and, and drew out of God's word to determine that it is our greatest purpose in life to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And we're going to see some of that in our text today. But I know that you've been working your way along through the Gospel of John, uh, studying uh, what John wrote and what, what he was communicating. And I know that you've heard from John 20, verse 31, that his goal is for us in, in his audience in general, whoever reads this letter, to, to understand that we need to believe in Jesus as the Son of God. And that, that also we gain life in believing in his name when we do. So, so believe in Jesus as the Son of God and that you'll receive life when you believe in his name. This is what John's purpose is. And so when we study and look at the text today and, and any text throughout John, we can know for certainty that he's trying to communicate something to us about Jesus. He wants us to know something about the character of Jesus and he also wants us to be able to know how that applies to our lives, how that produces a better quality of life, right? So this morning, the main point that I want you to understand today is that exalting the greatness of Jesus provides complete joy in our life. Exalting the greatness of Jesus provides complete joy in life. You will find no greater purpose in this life than to elevate the knowledge of Jesus. No greater purpose. Like the sun is eclipsed by the moon, exalting the greatness of Jesus eclipses any other life's pursuit that we could chase after, and it extinguishes the exalting of self. Exalting the greatness of Jesus provides complete joy in life. And we're going to talk about what it mean, what that, that means to have complete joy. And we'll talk about that as we get into our text. So please read with me John 3, 
22 through 36. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. This is God's word for God's people. And if we're, going to, if we're going to exalt the greatness of Jesus to find our greatest and, and greatest joy and, and complete joy in life, then we must start out by following Christ alone. Follow Christ alone. This is our first point. We see this as the scene is set for us. Jesus moved out of Jerusalem, so he, he left where he was at. In Jerusalem with the, the Feast of the Passover. And after he just got done speaking with Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you guys heard about that last week. And he leaves Jerusalem with his disciples and they go into the Judean countryside where they start baptizing because people are still following Jesus. They're following and listening to his teaching. They're believing in him and now they're being baptized. But we see here also that John... John was baptizing. He and his disciples were baptizing at Anon near Salim, which is much farther north from where Jesus is at. So, so keep that in mind as you hear what uh, John's disciples say. They're baptizing much farther away, not within eyesight, not, not within even the ability to see where the people are ending up going. Uh, but we also see here that John gives us this parenthetical statement that uh, for John had not yet been put in prison. This is so important because as we read through the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's important to know the timeline of Jesus' life and the history of, of what he was doing because we don't want, John didn't want for us to, to misunderstand where this fits within the context of Jesus' life. He didn't want it to be misunderstood and, think, and us to think that it contradicts one of the other Gospels. And so every Every little word, every little sentence is important within God's word. It has meaning, has value. And so uh, it's important for us to understand that this clearly fits within the context of Jesus' life along with the other gospels and their accounts 
of Jesus' life because this John has not been put in prison yet. So he's still out there. He's still serving the Lord. He's still making straight the way of the Lord, right? Baptizing people, preparing them for hearing the Messiah and receiving the Messiah. <clears throat> and so this is the scene that's set for us. John and, and his disciples, they're baptizing people. And there arose a discussion between some of John's disciples and, one, and a Jew over purification, this idea of ritual cleansing, which was very important in this day, that they had to make sure that they were ritually clean before they could worship the Lord. And, and so these guys were, were having this argument over this ritual cleansing topic. And we don't have the, the full details of what that conversation was about and what they got into and wh why they got so upset. Uh, but clearly, clearly they, they came out of it pretty frustrated because they came to John and they say to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. Perhaps in, in an effort to discredit John's disciples' authority over the, the argument that they were having, this Jew may have said, well, you're kind of losing your influence. Look at all these people. They're leaving you and they're, they're going to, to follow Jesus. So what you say really doesn't hold too much value uh, to me right now. And that probably got them pretty heated, right? I mean, we can imagine that this may have, that may have been what occurred because they come to John and they, they say this to, to John and, and we see this, this idea that uh, it raises, raises question to whether who they were following. Were they following Jesus in, in helping prepare the way for Jesus? Were they following John just for the notoriety that they had or the influence that they had secured by following John? Perhaps their motives were pure when they first started as John communicated the coming Messiah and began to baptize. But somewhere along the way, their, their motives may have shifted. Their motives have, have shifted because we can see that, that they're upset by this, that that people are going to follow Jesus rather than John, or rather them. He had, had developed some, some idea of self-exalting pursuits within their, within their own ministry. We can do this ourselves, right? We get into ministry, we, we, we seek to serve the Lord, we have, we have pure motives starting out, but then at some point, we start to collect these ministry opportunities or even disciples and start to think that this is a kingdom that, that's for us and not for Christ. See, that's what these guys were doing. They were, they were following the right guy until Jesus showed up and now they were following the wrong guy. And not that, G, not that John's ministry was, was done and had no value, clearly, because we see that, that people were coming and being baptized. And, and so he, his ministry was still essential to the preparing of the Messiah, to prepare hearts to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. But these guys had, had come to him thinking that, that their, their notoriety was diminishing, their influence was diminishing, and this was a problem. We'll see how John responds in a moment, but I want you to, to think about 
just the ways that, that maybe you follow Christ? Are you seeking to pursue him because you're, you're wanting to exalt him, exalt the greatness of Jesus? Or are you trying to combine exalting Jesus with also exalting yourself at the same time? You see, when we do that, it distorts our vision. It distorted the disciples' vision here because we, we see that they say all are going to him. That Jesus is baptizing and all are going to him. And perhaps they're, they're standing there watching people leave and say, well, actually we can go find Jesus in the Judean countryside and be baptized by him instead. And they were, they were bothered by this and they're saying all are going to him, but, but really we're all going to him? The author John makes it clear for us in, in verse 23, he says that they were baptizing in Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there. And people were coming and being baptized. This gives us a picture that there were still a lot of people coming to John to be baptized. Because they needed a, an area that had a lot of water. And so there was still great opportunity for them to serve Christ by by preparing hearts to believe in him. But all they saw were maybe the few or the several even that, that, were, that were leaving to go find Jesus. And that, that upset them because they, their notoriety, their influence was, was diminishing. And so we need to be careful. I think this, this is important for us because if we follow anything or anyone other than Jesus, we're going to gain a distorted vision of what's happening as well. Instead of celebrating and, and, and being joyful about what God is doing, bringing all of these people along to, to hear the word of God preached by John, to be baptized in, in that teaching, to then commit and submit their lives to, to God's word, to believe in the Messiah, instead of, of being joyful in that and finding their joy in that. They were bothered by the fact that, that some were actually going to the one that they were preaching about. So it's important for us to realize that, that we, we're in the same role. As, as believers in Christ, if you have placed your faith in Jesus and you know him as your Savior who's forgiven you of your sin. We fall into the same category, in the same role as these disciples, where we're, we, we're following Jesus by proclaiming that he is coming again. We're, we're here for a purpose, to prepare the way for Jesus' return, to help draw more people to, to know him. And, and it's, it can't be one or the other, like us exalting ourselves and Christ. Uh, it, it, it can't be both. It will be, sorry, it will be one or the other. Because you can't exalt yourself and think that you're also exalting Christ. It's going to be one or the other. So who are you exalting? Whose greatness are you exalting? Whose kingdom are you trying to build? When we follow Christ alone, we get to know him. 
kind of like when somebody says, oh, follow me back to my house, and you start following them, and uh, you get to know, uh, or, or if they start speeding off, and you got to try to keep up and maintain that speed, that distance, so you don't lose them, you get to know a little bit about them. It's the same way that if, if you follow Jesus, you're going to get to know him. And if you get to know him, you're going to exalt him. You have no other choice. As you get to know him and the greatness of Jesus, you're going to exalt him. And that's our second point. Exalt Christ alone. So we see that John's disciples are upset, and now we get to see John's response. He's not about exalting himself. We've seen this over the past several weeks as, as we've heard the preaching uh, from John about who he is and and who he's about. He's never exalting himself. He's never putting himself out there. It's always, every response of his is always about Jesus. And so John says this, verse 27, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. John understood that this notoriety, this influence that he had gained, it came from God alone. Nothing he had gained was of his own doing. And we have, we can remember that in our own lives, that, that, that nothing we have, nothing that God has given us is because of our own doing. We've received it from him. And, and oftentimes we can, we can thank him for those things, right? When we receive a blessing in our life, maybe uh, even our spouse or our kids, when, when, when those things happen, when we get married or when we start having children, we praise God for that. We thank him for it, but then at some point, somewhere along the way, we start viewing these gifts, these blessings of people, but also circumstances and, and belongings as part of our own kingdom. And we start to hedge and protect those things when we see something completely different here in our text today. John says, a person cannot receive one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ. He's like, you were there when I said, behold, the Lamb of God. Two of the disciples we know left immediately and followed Jesus from chapter 1. But these guys stayed with John. And John's kind of saying, like, why are you still here? The Messiah is here. I pointed him out for you I, twice. I pointed him out that we have record of. And they're still with him. He says, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. You see, John understood he had a purpose. And that his purpose was not to build his own kingdom, but it was to prepare for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ. And his desire was only to exalt Christ alone. He then starts, he gives us this analogy of, the friend of the bridegroom. And the friend of the bridegroom was more like a, a wedding planner, coordinator type of a, an individual. They were an attendant. The, the Greek term was paranymph. And so the paranymph would go and prepare the whole ceremony, the wedding ceremony, the, the, whole, the whole room that would be used or space that was going to be used. And, and he would give direction. He had authority He'd give direction to, to other servants to get everything into place and prepare for the bridegroom and the ceremony. 
And so he would do this, paranymph would do this, but what's interesting is that the paranymph was someone that was given as an attendant for the bridegroom, but also there was another one for the bride. But what we see in this text, John is almost playing both sides here. He's preparing the bride, those who would believe in Jesus. He's preparing the bride for the bridegroom, but he's also preparing for the bridegroom's, for the bridegroom's coming. And so he, he understands his purpose. And he tells us here, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. So he's like, that's not me. I'm not the bridegroom. I'm just the paranymph. I'm the friend of the bridegroom. The one who's been tasked with the authority to prepare everything for this wedding ceremony that's, that's to come. So he's, he's doing what he needs to do to get things ready. But then he says this, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. What he's, what he's identifying here, what he's depicting here is this idea of when the ceremony had been performed and now the, the bride and the bridegroom were together the paranymph would stand outside the tent to listen for the, the joy the, in the voice of the bridegroom. The joy purification of his bride. And we know that, that in Ephesians that, that Jesus will present his bride to himself spotless, without blemish, without wrinkle. And he will rejoice over that. This is what John is speaking of. And when, when the paranymph, the friend of the bridegroom, would hear the joy expressed in the, in the bridegroom's voice, that would bring great joy to the friend of the bridegroom. Because at that point, they knew that their job was done. They had, they had fulfilled their purpose. And their authority from that point was, was done. Any authority that they had that they had been given to perform that ceremony and get everything ready, it was now done. It was gone. This is what John is, is referring to. That when he hears, when he stands and hears the bridegroom's voice, he will greatly rejoice. And he is greatly rejoicing because he's seen the people that he's helping prepare for the bridegroom. He's seen them go to Jesus. And this brings him great joy. Which is why he says this. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. There's nothing more he needs to do. There's nothing more he needs to pursue. There's no exalt, self-exaltation that he needs to, to chase after. His joy is complete, this idea of, of being filled up to the brim. You can't put any more in it. That's the amount of joy that John has as he rejoices in those who are leaving him to go see Jesus. This is, why, this is why he can say, he must increase, but I must decrease. Because his joy is complete, there's nothing more for him to do. There's nothing more for him to pursue or chase after. 
Only the exaltation of Christ alone. And I know the Super Bowl is today, and, and I'm sure that at the end of that Super Bowl, whichever team wins, they're going to be filled with joy. Right? Most likely you're going to see it. They're going to have tears all over their face. They're going to be jumping up and down, hugging each other, celebrating. And their joy is in that moment complete, but it's not going to last. Come preseason, later this year, they're going to be striving and pursuing to regain that same feeling that they felt today. When our joy is found complete in Christ, it's eternal. Because he is eternal. And it comes by exalting the greatness of Jesus. So John says, he must increase and I must decrease. Because my job is, is, is coming to an end. My role, my purpose is coming to an end. I've fulfilled it. This joy of mine is now complete. He understands that, that in order for Jesus to be exalted, the greatness of Jesus to be exalted in his life, his influence must decrease. It's similar to, to when we, maybe small group leader, uh, you might be familiar with this, you're, you're discipling people within your group, and, and now they don't need you as much anymore because now they're following Jesus themselves. They were following you because you were following Jesus, but now they can follow Jesus for themselves. And not to say that you don't, they don't need to be in a group. Please be in small group. If you're not in a small group, find one, get connected, uh, because that's where you will grow in your walk with, with Christ uh, most efficiently and effectively. But there comes a time at some point in your life you should be able to feed your own soul on God's, from God's word because you've been trained and learned, you've learned how to do it from someone else. And, and that shouldn't cause us to feel like our kingdom, like we're losing our kingdom or losing any influence over people. Praise God, we should be joyful in the fact that, that people are following Christ more than they're following us, right? But how, how is it that, that John is able to humbly say he must increase, but I must decrease? Because that's difficult to say, right? It's difficult to, to show that kind of humility. I believe that it's because John believed in something. He believed in something bigger and greater than himself. I believe that he believed in Christ alone. This is our third point this morning. Believe in Christ alone. This is kind of like the secret sauce of, of exalting the greatness of Jesus. If you don't have this element in your life, this element of belief in your life, it's going to be impossible for you to exalt the greatness of Jesus and even to find complete joy in him. It's kind of like that, that secret ingredient that your grandmother uses in the cookies that makes them far better than any other cookies you've ever had. It's like the, the ingredients that my friend who used to own a pizza shop had. His pizza, by far, was better than any pizza I've ever had in my life, even up to this point. And, 
And I can only explain it by the fact that he used specific ingredients in his sauce, a recipe that he got from his grandmother. And, and he used these ingredients, and he only used the finest and freshest ingredients, not processed stuff that was frozen and all that. He always, he spared no expense on these ingredients. And it made, it, it showed, showed up in the difference in the taste of his pizza. The, the ingredients, the secret ingredients made all the difference. It's the same way here with belief. Belief makes all the difference. Belief in Christ alone. So we see this in the last several verses, but I want to jump to the last verse because I think this is going to be crucial to framing how we see the verses that, that precede it as well. Verse 36, it says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. John identifies, the author John, identifies for us here that belief is equal to obedience. Belief in Jesus as the Son of God is equal to obedience. We see this comparison in here because he says, whoever believes in the Son, but then later he says, whoever does not obey the Son. Those who believe have life eternal. And those who do not obey the Son shall not see life. They remain dead. They remain in death. So disbelief is disobedience. That, that maintains the punishment of our sin. You see here, the wrath of God remains on him. If you are alive and breathing and you have a heartbeat today, the wrath of God is a, is a threat to you. Now, if you have believed in Jesus, you have eternal life. There's no threat there, but... For anyone who has not placed their faith and, and obedience, obeyed by believing in Jesus, the wrath of God remains on him. There's no other sin needed to be performed in your life if you don't believe. And you might say, well, I'm, I'm a good person. I've, I, I live a good life. The problem with that is if you don't believe in Jesus as the Son of God who died for your sin so that you could be forgiven if you just believe in him, then the wrath of God remains on you. But we have hope. There is hope. John provides this for us as the beginning says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And this is what, this is what gives us this complete joy. When you know what you've been saved from, it allows you to, to be filled with complete joy in Jesus. And we see that belief is obedience that gives eternal life. So what, what does John say we need to believe about Jesus? We see that in, starting in verse 31. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. John's like... It's not me. I'm, I'm just a man. Don't believe in me. 
Believe in the one who is above all, who comes from heaven. He who comes from heaven is above all. And so we know that, that Jesus, belief in, in Jesus means he's the most important person. Most important person for us to ever believe in, to ever place our trust in. And then we see in verse 32, he bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. Jesus bears the true witness of God. He bears the true testimony of who, of who God is. He shows us who the Father is, that he is loving, he is merciful, not willing that any should perish, but desiring that all may have life through Jesus Christ, his Son. And then we see verse 33, or verse 34. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. See, this is not the same picture as being complete. Being given the Spirit without measure, it's not the same picture as being complete, like filled to the brim. Without measure means it's overflowing. See, Jesus has been filled with the Spirit to overflowing. He has the Spirit, and being filled being to overflowing without measure with the Spirit, He speaks the very words of God. He tells us what God says. He says, I love you. Know me and find complete joy in me. And then we see the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Two things here. Jesus is the Son of God. The Father loves him, okay? So Jesus is the Son of God whom the Father loves. And secondly, he has supreme authority. All things have been given into his hand. So he has supreme authority. So we can know that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins to give and grant eternal life to those who would believe in him. This is what John wants us to believe about Jesus this morning. The worship team can, can come forward and get ready as we close. The only thing that saves us is obediently believing in Christ alone. That he is, believing that he is who he says he is. And then you can be fulfilled to complete joy and, and have that joy even here on this earth. And it allows you being motivated out of what God has done for you, what Jesus has done for you on the cross paying for your sin, it allows you to be motivated to the point where you exalt the greatness of Jesus. As you follow him, as you exalt him alone, not you and him. And as you follow him in, in, in obedience, believing in obedience, it's something that, I don't know about you, but I have to do every day. I have to choose to believe every day. Yes, I'm, I'm not being saved 
every day, every time that I, I have to choose that belief. But, but there's so many doubts that come into our minds on any given day that we have to choose to believe what we're reading is true, that Jesus is true, that he's the physical representation of the true God. All other life's pursuits are limited. They're temporary. They end. But this pursuit outlasts them all because it is eternal. Exalt the greatness of Jesus because there's no greater purpose in life. And when you fulfill that purpose for which you were created to glorify God and enjoy him forever, it goes right along with our statement today. Exalting the greatness of Jesus provides complete joy in life. When you fulfill your purpose for which you were created, you'll find, you'll find complete peace, complete hope, complete love, and complete joy as you exalt the greatness of Jesus and receive that complete joy from God the Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for how great you are, how miraculous you are, that you sent your son Jesus lovingly sent your son Jesus to us to die on the cross for our sin, to pay a price that only he could pay. There's nothing we can do to earn favor with you. There's nothing we can do to earn forgiveness of our sin. Even just a small act of not believing in him keeps us condemned under your wrath. Lord, I pray that you will Enlighten our eyes, open our hearts to choose belief in Jesus every day so that we would not exalt ourselves, so that we would not hedge and protect any kingdom that we think we've attained, but celebrate the gifts and the blessings you've given us and understand that they have been given to exalt the greatness of Jesus to build his kingdom, to prepare his bride for his return, and to glorify your name alone. Lord, give us strength and discipline to be steadfast in exalting the greatness of Jesus, that our joy may be complete. We pray in Jesus' name.